There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbacher, and we've got an awesome show for you coming up. This week, Centauri and I were joined by Brian Moore. Brian is the co-founder and managing partner of Scouts. Y Scouts is an executive search firm that focuses on both purpose as well as performance. They take a very unique approach. We had a great conversation that went from human beings search for purpose in their work to how both individuals as well as companies can better understand their overall impact. You can find more information about Brian and Y Scouts at Scouts y-s-c-o-u-t-s dot com and I definitely encourage you to check it out thanks as always for listening remember to tell a friend that's enough about that let's go let's get into it and get down to it welcome to figure it out this is George Grombacher joining me as always is Centauri Minor hello folks from a man with perfect vision thanks to his spectacles in Centauri to a man who works to Help people find their way with their careers. We welcome Brian Moore from Y Scouts. Howdy, howdy. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing good. Doing good. It's the first show in the new year. So excited oh, to get is. started with okay. that. Yes. Yeah. So yes. Happy, happy New Year. I'm, so I am the inaugural two, 2017 yeah. show. That's a lot of pressure. Well, you guys have really set the bar low, <laughs> let me tell you. Stumbling out of the gate. So if I may just get a word out for all future guests, you have nothing to fear. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> You didn't have to agree so fast. No, right. <laughs> so I shared some background about uh, about Brian in the uh, in the introduction. So I think that a lot of us are familiar with Simon Sinek, and he's got a really, really, really famous YouTube video that talks about starting with why. And the gist of it is that most companies know what they do, they know how they do it, but it seems like not that many companies know why they do it. So I thought I'd tee that up for you and uh, let you talk a little bit about the things that you're working on. Yeah, it is a uh, it is a great video. I think it's a TED Talk, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. that dates back to, I think, 2007 in Seattle. Don't hold me to that, but that's my recollection. And I think your point is dead on, that most organizations today... Um, are recognizing the fact that the sole pursuit of profits is the only reason to be in business is beginning to lose its luster. And employees, and frankly, as there are multiple generations in the workforce, there are multiple motivations in the workforce today. And I think the received wisdom of the past, you know, continue to climb the corporate ladder as you go higher, as your responsibility becomes greater, as the title becomes larger, as your influence becomes bigger, that's where happiness is. Uh, Happiness is tied to an ascent, a climb. And I think what Simon did really, really well in exposing what he refers to as the golden circle and starting with why is, okay, yeah, climbing the ladder is great, but it's even better if the reason you're climbing it is in service to something greater than just your own self-gain. And taking some of Simon's work, uh, which he had taken from predecessors before him, because as he admits, he was by no means the, uh, the first person to ever ask the question right. why. Right. He just did a really great job putting it into a really simple formula. 
in what he calls the golden circle. Um, taking that to the employment world for us at Y Scouts just seemed to make a lot of sense. Hiring and how companies and people have connected with one another has largely been predicated on does my resume and, and its trajectory and its job titles and its keywords align with a job description that requires a certain set of experiences, background, skills. And if those two things line up, uh, history shows us that's a good hire. And I think what today's world, and frankly this started certainly not today, it started a handful of years ago, just the emphasis around aligning people on something more than just the job resume fit is just growing it in importance. And that's what we're working on, connecting people and companies to work that really matters. And I think it's incumbent upon both the companies as well as as the individual to know what is it that matters to them for the company? Why do they exist beyond profit? And for an individual, what is it that they want to contribute to that will provide them an ability to earn a living? and a sense of meaning and purpose that is bigger than just earning the living or the means to the end for those that care. And I would love to think that it everybody cares, but not everybody does, but those that do seem to like us and we should certainly like them. Do you see that uh, this, this purpose-driven uh, piece of employment drives retention? I, I think it absolutely will play into it. Um, you know, uh, we talk often with our clients that the best of the best are constantly being recruited, right? If you're employed right now and you're performing at a high level, there's a good chance you're being compensated well. Hopefully you're being recognized for your contributions in addition to the compensation. And with the explosion in technology and tools like the LinkedIn's and other social media, it's really easy to find who the great people are, right? That they're sort they're 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 known in their respective industries and their respective disciplines. And they're being recruited all the time. What's going to draw them away? Well, a lot of external factors, next title, bigger comp package, uh, shorter commute, whatever it is, there's, there, there are motivations that will draw people away. However, if I'm a star performer, a great player, I'm in a place where I'm being compensated fairly, I'm being recognized adequately, and the work that I do is work that matters to me, it's meaningful, my lure to go somewhere else just to pursue an externality like a paycheck, uh, not that... Chase money is a bad thing, no. but I think the ability to retain if there's meaning and purpose there, uh, to me, adds a, 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 an unspoken strength in terms of retention. So, yes, yeah, so I think it plays big time. I really do. I heard a talk years and years ago. I don't even remember who it was that was speaking, but the, the person said, people seek a purpose-driven life. Give it to them. So if you're a company and you're able to do that, geez, probably going to hang on to people. You're probably going to be doing business the right way. I think that we are facing a bit of a, a bit of a crisis with work in the United States and even around the world. And if you can help us solve that, that, that'd be great. But such a few number of people are actually engaged in their work. Yeah. I've read statistics that say a third of Americans are engaged, which leaves just for silly math, 200 million people that, that don't like what they do. And around the world, it's 16%. Only 16% of folks are actually engaged in their work. Yeah. So I think one of the reasons that Simon Sinek is getting so much play, and that was such a popular thing, is because I think that more people want that. But I think that I think you're absolutely right. I mean, let's look at it purely from a business standpoint. Does purpose 
in being a purpose-driven individual and company actually drive better business performance. And there's quite a bit of compelling data out there that suggests and proves that it does. There's a great book out there called Firms of Endearment, bit of a cute play on mm-hmm. words of the movie Terms of Endearment. Mm-hmm. Um, so Firms of Endearment, uh, and in particular, uh, the authors, a few, there were co-authors, I believe there was three folks who worked on the book, and they picked uh, 25 or so organizations that uh, appeared to be very purpose-driven, publicly traded organizations, and compared them over a 15-year period. I think it was between 1998 and 2013, so they took that group of companies, these so-called firms of endearment, compared them to Jim Collins' good to great companies, and I think there was 11 or 12 of them, and then compared it to a third subset, which was the S&P 500. And they looked at the cumulative stock returns of these three separate groups. Hmm. And the purpose-driven companies returned a cumulative uh, success rate of 1,681%. The next closest was, I believe, the good to great companies at somewhere around 300%. So, I mean, we're talking a really big delta of increased productivity, profitability, uh, returns to shareholders. So there is definitely something that's happening that if you can lock into, tap into what drives us as human beings, the need to create meaning, because we are not the only species on earth. We happen to be the only one, though, that needs things to mean something. Like we can't just mind mindlessly go through life. And I mean, I guess some people do, but... <laughs> that's part of the essence of being human is like what I do has to mean something to someone, including myself. Um, So I think it's an untapped, an untapped landscape of competitive advantage that exists. Uh, We've sure hell explored most other areas in business processes, systems, management techniques, ways of incorporating. I mean, you name it, we've explored so much yet every business has one commonality and that's people. Right. And and I think people have largely been untapped. I'm not going to say ignored, but I think untapped. And not the IQ, like our heads are being tapped into every day, but it's like this reservoir of of love and care and passion and effort and drive and ambition and like just this this sense of there's so much more we can give if the circumstances are tapping into what's in here and leveraging what's up here. So I think it's an and, and mm-hmm. I think this is the part that's been untapped. So um, the last... Did that even answer you? I went off on one hell of a tangent. I, I, hope, that was it. I hope that was in response to a question. <laughs> that's good information, though. Well, the, the well I do have a... So last spring, uh, I did a presentation at the Arizona State Bar Association about intergenerational workplaces. So as you probably know, lawyers are having this really big divide between senior partners and junior associates and how they work together. And as you know, this is also the first time in history where we have three or four generations in a workplace at a given time. So what are you seeing as uh, kind of bubbling up as the biggest challenges as a result of that? Of of just the multiple generations in the workforce? I think it's... um, Attempting to manage a business where it's a, I guess, a vanilla approach that we're just going to treat everybody the same way. We're going to homogenize our workforce and create processes and systems and policies that are a one size fits all. And that that did work. I mean, if you date back to the Industrial Revolution 
and Frederick Taylor scientific management and getting the most out of people by assigning the work in uh, silo fashion where it was very assembly line-ish, very Henry Ford-like, um, you could create policies that treated everybody as a cog in the wheel. I don't know that that was the intent, but that was that was the Industrial Revolution. How do we maximize productivity with the use of machinery and people? And I think a lot of that one-size-fits-all way of doing things, um, it, sh it just became habit. Like, it persisted and, and, in fact, still persists in many pretty big businesses. With multiple generations, whether it's a law firm, a hospital, or a small services business, if you have groups of individuals from different generations, they have different motivations. They have different lifestyle choices. They have different needs. They have different expectations around what their work is going to look like. And so to treat everyone the same, I think, is, is what needs to change and begin treating everyone the way they want to be treated without creating just absolute chaos. I think there's a way to do both. So for the listeners who have or are in those businesses, especially in managerial roles, what advice would you give them about managing across generations? I think the best thing anyone can do if you're in a leadership role and you have responsibility of managing multiple people and they happen to fall into multiple generations, it's, it's pretty simple. Sit down with each one of them, get to know them as a human being, not as the accounts receivable specialist or whatever their job is. Find out what makes them tick. Learn about what their dreams and goals and desires are. Where do they want to go, not only with their career within your company and while you're their leader or their manager, but within their life. And if you can begin to simply engage them and understand the things that matter most to them, you can begin orienting how you work with them in a way that, as, as best you can, shows them, demonstrates to them that you're trying to help them get to where they ultimately are desiring to go. And that may mean higher up across your organization, or someday it may mean out of it. But you trying to hold them against their will doesn't work. They're going to leave anyways. So back to your retention question, which is a great one from earlier in the conversation. If you are not only creating an environment where the work has deeper meaning than just dollars and cents, but that you are working with them and you show genuine care and concern for who they are as a human being, that, that's a good thing. And I think it's as simple as that. And whether or not you can change your policies to meet every individual person, I think that's unrealistic. So I'm not implying that that, that is the way to go. But attempting to work within whatever the rules and procedures are um, and modeling them or, or, or massaging them in a way that meets each person in a way that hopefully demonstrates you care deeply about who they are and their growth as an individual while they're in your care. Why don't companies do that? It's because it's hard. Hmm. It's just really hard. I mean, <laughs> managing people is just hard, right? I it mean, is. It's it's people. We're <laughs> listen. I'll speak personally. I am an odd dude. I'm full of passion and energy, but I can be incredibly selfish at times, and I can lose sight of of my sense of self awareness and. Um, I can overcome it with sometimes being funny and telling jokes, but like having to manage me, that's no easy task. And so to do that and multiply it times 10 or 20 or 30 or 50 people, 
holy cow, it, it's just hard. But the best leaders are the ones that that's what they prioritize. They figure it out. Figure it out. Yeah. And, and they also enjoy it. They enjoy the challenge of, all right, Centauri is different than George. George is, is different than Centauri. They have commonalities. Um, Few. But they, <laughs> but they have differences. And so let me seek those differences out and make sure I do what I can to, to recognize them and appreciate their differences and then model my behavior in a way that honors the things that I perceive matter most to them. It's just hard to do. It is really hard to do. And, you know, companies, I don't care if you are a three-person company or if you're a Fortune 100 company, it is really hard to enact change. And you're in the thick of it. You're making your widget every day and trying to get your widget out to the marketplace and do all that stuff. It's hard to, I don't want to call it touchy-feely, but sometimes it's it's hard to change gears. Um, and even the best companies, I think especially the best companies recognize when they need help doing it. We were talking um, before the show started a little bit about how Google has a, a pretty good track record of, of trying something, but then realizing, you know, we're probably not the best at this. Maybe we should cut bait and bring somebody in because uh, sometimes that's necessary. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, in Google, by the way, and I don't mean to cut you off, but it's no. interesting, right? Google became incredibly well known for their grueling hiring uh, or their interview practices, right? And they would ask these riddle-based questions. How many That's golf right. balls can you fit in a 747? Right. <laughs> like, what? Uh, okay. I get that maybe if you can sort of deconstruct the way someone would approach that. All right, a 747 is 200 feet long and 50 feet wide and a golf ball. Like, okay. But at the end of the day, what they realized after doing interesting experimental things like that is the correlation between those who could answer it in a way that demonstrated IQ had almost no correlation to job performance. Right, right. So Laszlo in Work Rules, his book, uh, and I think it happened before that, was very out front and transparent about like, yeah, these really interesting riddle-based things we tried didn't impact performance. It didn't correlate to performance. So what we learned from that and what did was when we sat down with a candidate, having the candidate meet with multiple people, no long, you know, the, the days of one hiring manager having the sole responsibility for hiring his or her uh, employee are long gone. Google will require, if not panels, multiple people to meet with a candidate so that they can triangulate everybody's experiences of that particular candidate, not only from the job performance, but from culture, from values, from collaboration, from teamwork, from intelligence, both intellectually as well as emotionally. And I think even the Googles of the world are, are figuring out this human thing, right? I mean, it's, we're, we're, we're human. Yeah, it's tough whenever there's people involved. Yeah, for sure, sure is. And, but that's what makes it great too. It, that, yep, the, the the messiness is is yeah. is, is, is what make thing, makes things fun. That is true. And Google's going to figure it out because they have all the information. So, you know, we we've been talking mostly about how companies can, from sort of the top down, um, help people find their impact or help people find their their purpose, but. It's also obviously the responsibility of the individual to figure out how they want to impact. One of my favorite stories is the story about uh, the NASA janitor. Yep. And they said, you know, well, why are you working so hard? You're a janitor. He's like, no, I'm working to put a man on the moon. Amen. 
and I don't think that anybody at NASA coached that guy up, right? He, he realized, wow, you know, I can have a real impact here, no matter if I'm pushing the room or actually doing the, the physics. Yep. So. Yeah. No, I think, you know, to me, that um, story um, brings up for me the book by Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. And that book uh, of any book I think I've ever read has had, I mean, I put The Alchemist up in there by Paulo Coelho, but Man's Search for Meaning, this, this lesson that I took from it that no matter your circumstances, um, how you react and what you can create mentally from the circumstances you're in, um, the power of the human mind and our ability to control our reactions and choose how we're going to be in any given moment is it's beyond powerful mm-hmm. and um, so it is incumbent on the individual to figure out what is it that matters most to me a company can declare what it is they stand for hey our purpose is X whatever X happens to be and the individual can look at that feel that and say or not I resonate with that I feel proud and, and, and derive a sense of intrinsic you know, motivation, a sense of meaning from pursuing that, or eh, that's not my thing. Right. And so I think part of it is, is some trial and error. There's, there's, um, there's a couple schools of thought, I think at least two primary around purpose. One is one school of thought that every one of us is put here on earth to serve a specific purpose. And your job is to figure out why you're here and, and what that is, and then go do that. There is one thing. And another school of thought is, well, as you grow up, as your needs change, as your life stages change, as you have families or not, where you derive meaning and purpose can also change. And I don't think either is wrong and I don't think either is right. It's it's in the eye of the individual and it's what matters to them. Um, I, I will tell you right now, I did not grow up believing my purpose was to help figure out how to do leadership recruiting in a purpose-driven way. Like that wasn't my dream as a kid. I accidentally fell into the the area of employment and recruiting in right at the end of 99, beginning of 2000. And here it is 17, 18 years later. I just love it. It's, I, I derive meaning from it, but it was by accident. Um, is this where I will be forever? Maybe, but you know what? Two years from now, something else may just get under my skin and is a problem that I want to solve or people that I'm just naturally drawn to who are working on something that lights me up and, you know, you just never know. You might finally pursue the childhood dream of becoming a pirate. Maybe. I haven't given up. Yeah. (laughs) So what would you say to the folks that... um, That was my best pirate. That was a good pirate. Yeah, it was not too bad. I wanted to be a rock star, and I fell real (laughs) short of that. So, why did you fall short? Uh, I'm sitting here with you guys (laughs) in Old Town Scottsdale around a kitchen table, and not at Madison Square Garden, rocking out to however many thousands of people fit in there. So, what are your thoughts on uh, the folks that would say it's a it's a quite the privilege of the educated, uh, of the well to do, to have this time on their hands, or even the thought process to pursue their passion. Uh, whereas for a lot of people, a lot of Americans, especially at the lower end, they're not thinking about what a purpose-driven life looks like. They're looking at how do I get a paycheck? And so it's a privilege of the three of us to have this conversation. But what would you say to those who have a, 
the idea that it is such a privilege that it's a luxury yeah. item more than a yeah that's an interesting it's a great question and I go I struggle with that question and I'll tell you why I'll frame it in two ways one I'll go back to George's story on the janitor right okay that makes sense that, that I'm gonna go out on a limb and guess even the janitor for NASA isn't making six figures sweeping floors and cleaning toilets but he made a conscious decision, likely not coached on his own to say, what I do here is contributing to a larger purpose. And it's my choice to push this broom in service of putting a man on the moon. Because if I don't do this, there's going to be crap around the floor. And that gets in the way of our ultimate mission. On the flip side, I'll use Maslow's hierarchy and say, if at the base level, your bare minimum needs of food, water, safety, shelter aren't being met, to look at the top of the pyramid of Maslow's hierarchy and see self-actualization in this purpose-driven life, that's a big delta, right? Like right. if you can't even feed your family, clothe them in a way, like, like yeah. I, so it's hard. I'm not going to play judge or jury and say that it is or isn't a luxury item. I think it's, it's again, it's it's a matter of perspective of the individual and how they choose to be in in each moment of their work is truly on them. I've I've as we all have, I've gone to the grocery store and I've checked out and there's a one of the clerks who's checking you out who just goes out of their way to brighten your day. Like right. their opportunity to create meaning is to serve me in the one minute I'm you know, pushing my items down the conveyor belt. And then we've all had that experience where you meet the clerk who can, can't so much as lift their head to acknowledge your presence because it's just a job. Mm -hmm. It's really up to the person. It really is. Um, I think you can create meaning in any circumstance. Again, I'll go back to Frankel's book. He was in a concentration camp watching friends and family and fellow Jews being slaughtered by the hundreds of thousands and totaled up to six million and he created a sense of purpose and meaning in that environment you, we can all take something from that we certainly hope so <clears throat> purpose is a tricky thing and you when when you were talking about you need to go find out find, find your one purpose what came into my mind is we need to go find your soulmate <laughs> and the odds of that happening infinitesimal so I I hope for everyone that they're able to find their purpose but I'm more of the, the school uh, that you should search for your impact first. Find something that, 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 that you can do well. Get good at it. And odds are, once you get really good at something, it'll turn into purposeful work. It certainly can. As I think that if we keep telling anybody, but if we tell a young person, find your purpose, well, that, that's going to be pretty tough. When I'm you know, 20, 22 years old and... Now I got $100,000 of student loans. I got to find a job to start paying my bills and I'm supposed to be finding my purpose. I'm probably not going to be real happy if I'm in a job that I don't necessarily like. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah, I think the, uh, I have phrased it this way and I love where you're going with this is that when I was a kid, I, I, like all of us, we were asked by our, our parents and all the bigger people when we were little is, <laughs> Brian, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? If teachers asked or parents asked, what do you want to be? And the emphasis was always on, shit, I got to be something. Mm. Do I want to be a doctor? Do I want to be a lawyer? Like we had to pick a right. profession. Right. 
I think a simple, simple twist of the question can reframe everything, and that is, what do you want to be a part of? Mm-hmm. And if you simply just alter the question a little bit, like, okay, what do I want to be a part of? Well, there's lots of things that I could see myself really finding meaning and satisfaction from being a part of. Then it's less about choosing the profession and more about choosing the problem that I want to work on, the opportunity that I'm working Yeah, like whatever it is. And it's it becomes, I think, more outcome-focused than choosing your role in the company-focused. I mean, clearly you have a role to play, and we all have strengths and gifts and things that we should develop and become great at. Um, but, yeah, I agree with you. I think asking a, a young person, regardless of age, Hell, even asking an old person, you need to go find your purpose. Okay, well, how do I do that? Because your way of figuring it out is likely going to be different from mine, and it's likely going to be different from yours. Because we all have different life experiences, and the things that strike us as interesting and worthy are just different. You guys care about different things than I do, and some things we care similarly about. But, again, back to that's what makes us human. And so if you can align with a group of people who all share a common uh, care, concern, passion for something to be a part of, that to me is, you you can get a group of people together with a shared vision, a shared commitment to an outcome of doing something, that's pretty cool. So I'm, um, given the nature of your work, you probably have a pretty good uh, higher level view or lens on the um, labor industry in the United States in general. Tell me about, I saw this article recently that I actually loved on telling people that coding is the silver bullet is really, really detrimental to the society. Well, here I, I love that you brought this up. Um, so before Y Scouts, I worked at a job board and I remember the nursing shortage that was happening here in Phoenix in like... 2000, let's say from 2002 to 2010, like there weren't enough nurses. And I remember all of the advertising that was happening, not only the hospitals, but the schools. Like, (laughs) come be a nurse because it's guaranteed $79,000 salary when you graduate. And so you had this rush of people, men and women, like, wow, I go for however many years of school, I become a nurse and I'm I'm guaranteed 80 grand a year. So you had a whole bunch of people get into it, some of which don't give a shit about taking care of people. <laughs> There's it's kind of an important element in nursing. Especially nursing. Right? Yeah, yeah, that okay. is your job. So coding, <laughs> yeah. um, do we need more coders and programmers and people who can make technology do amazing things? Yeah. But only the right ones. The ones who like look at that. And do it because it, it, they look at it as, wow, I can help be a part of X. If, if the motivation is, and this is just my bias, if the motivation is I can be a coder and I'm guaranteed 120 grand, you're, 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 you're choosing a means to an end and you're going to desire some work-life balance because work is work to provide you what you need to go enjoy life. And I, my bias is, I don't buy any of that crap. I think it's, your life is your life. 
And if what you do to earn money, because we all need to earn a living, uh, at least those of us that don't have trust funds and inheritances, you got to work. And to do work that somehow creates separation between who you are at home and who you have to be when you leave home, to me, is just an utter waste of energy. Mm-hmm. The minute I stopped pretending to be someone different at work than I was at home, was it's like a weight's lifted. Like, I can be the same wacko, weirdo, humorous, funny, passionate guy at work that I am at home. Right. And in order to do that, I need to be in a place and with a group of people and pursuing something that matters to me that allows me to do that. So I intentionally chose this. Right. One of the, uh, the things that came out of the intergenerational workplaces conversation is that uh, more so people my age than millennials are not looking at work-life balance, but looking at it's a seamless mix. So you weave in and out of work and life, and it should just be one thing rather than switching between the two. I totally agree, right? I mean, we're all walking around with these things. Right. Um, most work can be done from just about anywhere there's Wi-Fi and cell right. coverage. Most work. Right. I realize there's some jobs that require you to be in a certain place between a certain period of time. I get it. Like nursing. Right. Like nursing. <laughs> yeah. You, it's hard to Turns nurse. out. <laughs> Although there are you know, a lot of telemedicine companies. Up, right? Right? Right. It's happening. Yeah. But I take it all back. No. no you're, but you're right. Like if you're in a hospital, you, you, <sighs> there will be a day where your nurse will just pop up on a screen. Right. And that day is probably here already. Thankfully, I haven't had to spend much time in hospitals. But um, I don't know if I have to be in a hospital. I want someone coming to the bedside and like treating me like a human. And I want to interact with another human because I'm in a vulnerable place. I'm likely ailing from something. I need some compassion, some empathy, some love, some care. And I don't want it from a screen. I want it from a human. And one of the last things I wanted to ask you about on my end was looking at the pipeline of your workforce or the workforce in general. Talk to us a little bit about the uh, the idea that there are multiple ways to success. So I think one of the things that has been really detrimental to a lot of folks is this idea that you have to go to college to be successful sure. or that you have to learn the code to be successful or sure. that you have to be a nurse to be successful when really, for the most part, they, there's so many different jobs and it's so diverse out there, but kids in high school are a grade school have no idea that a professional fundraiser is a thing or a financial advisor is a thing because no one's talking to them about that. And there are multiple ways to get into either of those. So what? how important is it to really articulate that there are multiple pipelines to success? Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know that I can answer your question any better than the way you stated it is that there, there is no one path anymore. I think that received wisdom of there is a way society operates and works. And if you don't follow that path, your probability for success decreases greatly. I I think, God bless millennials and Gen Y and Z and what, like whatever they're called, like younger minds are looking at their parents or older siblings or grandparents and just they're, they pay attention. Like, our company didn't treat them so well. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go follow that path so that I can get treated like that when the shit hits the fan. Like, we're humans are pretty observant and wise. And so I, I think recognizing that there isn't just one way. You don't have to go to college to be successful. Does it up your chances of success? Absolutely. Yeah, maybe it does in certain circles. If you're going to be the best janitor in the world, do you have to go to college? No. Will it help you become a better janitor? Maybe. Um, if you're going to be a doctor, 
I'd prefer you to go to college and medical school and pass the uh, <laughs> legally. Yeah, yeah right? right. I mean, yeah. so there. Yeah. So I think it, it just it 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 depends. There isn't one route anymore. It's your route, and your route's different than mine. So for the person that's listening out there, the small minority that is not necessarily in a career where what we've been talking about is matching what they're feeling. What advice would you give to them? Well, I would ask them, or I would, I would share with them, take a step back and look at the environment that they're in, the people they're with, and the work that's being done, and ask what really about all of this is not feeling right. Is it the work itself? Is it the company's culture? Is it the relationship you have with your supervisor? Is it the relationship you have with your coworkers? Is it something beyond those things? But first identify where's the source of the perceived misalignment coming from. Don't just assume that, oh, the, the, the I don't know, whatever it is. Like, don't just jump to a knee-jerk reaction. Just take a step back and just ask questions first. And as you ask questions, you begin to reveal through that process, what are the things that are out of alignment for me? And it could be something really simple. Like they could be, I don't know, sitting in the wrong spot of the building for all I know. I don't know, I'm just making this up, but ask questions. Um, And then from there, once they identify what might be leading to a lack of satisfaction in what they're doing, well, then I would say at the top of the priority list of how to find something different than what you're doing is, that thing that's making you unhappy should be at the top of your list of don't take another opportunity with any company for any amount of money if that's going to still be there. So like figure those things out and begin prioritizing what are the things that are most important to you. Um, let me try and simplify that. So jobs, uh, I think we tend to, you go to a job board today, um, they haven't advanced a whole hell of a lot since I was in them, um, unfortunately. That's it's just a newspaper online, right? You can search better and you can apply a lot more quickly. But the way you search for jobs today is you can put in a keyword. You can choose a particular job discipline, like I'm an accountant or I'm, I'm a finance person or a marketer or a salesperson or, or an engineer. And then you can choose geography, right? You've got basically three criteria. A keyword, which hopefully narrows down, a function, and a geography. We haven't given people a whole lot of ability to think think more broadly about well, what matters most. We've almost isolated people's thinking into this little box. Choose your function, choose your geography, and throw in a few keywords just to narrow down the, you know, the volume of results. For me, there's some big things missing. Well, what's the company's mission? What's its purpose? How does it behave? What are its core values? Who are the types of people that thrive there? I think these are the things that you rarely look for on the front end there are things you start to ask if ever after you've already applied for a job and you've begun doing the dance with your future potential employer on a lot of the externality things and just glaze right over the internality or the internal things that that i think really can accelerate happiness and success right any books or self-assessments that you'd encourage somebody to, to do if they just weren't happy or they're stuck? Um, God, there's a lot. We talked about the alchemist. Yeah, that's, I talked about the alchemist. kind of big picture stuff. Yeah. I mean, on, on, a, on a smaller level, so I've got a good friend here in town. Uh, his name's Louis Efron. Uh, Louis has been in the purpose space for a long, long time. 
And Lewis wrote a book about a year and a half ago called How to Find a Job, Career, and Life You Love. And in it are a variety of assessments or you know, uh, you know, quizzes, assessments, whatever you want to call it. Just practical guides and questions you can ask yourself um, that begin to reveal things that uh, are, are, are contributing to your overall sense of well-being and things that might be subtracting from your overall sense of well-being. So I think that's a, a great one to dive into. He's launching a second book here, I think in May, called Purpose Meets Execution. Uh, which is more focused on the organization as opposed to the individual. Um, nice. Yeah, there's that's a that's a broad question. It is. So let's let's sit on the other side of the table. If you are um, president of a company, yeah, listening to this, and you say, "Gosh, I I don't think that this is my. I don't think I have a purpose driven company." How do I get started with that? Well, I would argue that every company does. And, but here's the difference. So. Purpose for all of its buzz that it has right now, I think has because of its buzz has sort of been for, from for some thrown into uh, it's just fuzzy culture rah rah yeah. crap. Okay, maybe so. However, um, there was a company who made this table. It's the table, like it's a nice table, but it's just a table. <laughs> um, there's lots of other tables just like this. And it's- it is a very nice table. It is, yeah. right. it's a gorgeous table. It's a beautiful table. <laughs> but the person who made this table may not derive a – or the president of the company who made this table may not be able to communicate a message to his or her team and say, guys, gals, the tables we make change the world because, I don't know, this table's really not changing the world. However – in the absence of this external save the world, change the world kind of purpose, there is a purpose that that president or CEO or founder has complete control over and isn't bullshit no matter how much lipstick you feel like you're putting on the pig. And that is that as a leader, whether you're a leader of a small team or a big company, how you choose to engage with, care for, and develop the people entrusted to you as you being the leader, your team, that's, I don't know that there's a more noble purpose than how you take care of your people to help them become the best of who they can be. Helping them develop, helping them learn, helping them grow, helping them have better relationships with their family, with their friends, with the customers. I mean, you can impact lives right underneath your nose. That's a pretty noble damn purpose help people be the best they can be and as a result they'll probably make really kick-ass tables which won't change the world but the people who made it are going to be better people for it and i don't think that side of the purpose coin gets the attention it deserves i think purpose has been unfairly and perhaps rightly because of just the way it's been sort of put up on this pedestal that every company needs to have this bat signal that they're changing the world. Uh, No, you don't. You could do the most mindless, um, commodity-driven. You may may be in something that just doesn't. And there are plenty of companies out there that aren't changing the world. In fact, there's more that aren't than are. No doubt. So the ones who aren't, that's okay. You know what you can do? You can change the world for your teammates. Mm -hmm. That you can do. Whether they're there for a week, a month, 
or their whole careers. You can help them change their lives for the better. To me, that's a huge part of being a purpose-driven leader. 100% agree. 100% agree. It's not necessarily the big things. It's it's the little things that, uh, that 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 make life and the interactions we have with those people around us, our coworkers, our loved ones, and there's the ability to have an impact in anything that in anything that 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 we do. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, Centauri, what did we forget to talk about today? That's all the questions I had. This is wonderful. Awesome. As our time is drawn to a close, what else do you want to get off your chest, sir? Um. I'm getting old, man, so <laughs> this has nothing to do with the topic of what we're talking about, but I think I shared this with, with Centauri. Nothing screams you're aging like having to have knee surgery as a result of tearing your meniscus in half, stretching mm, after geez. a workout. Jeez. So I need to get that off my chest. All right, um, I appreciate I'm that. I'm getting old, and it's, uh, you know, it... it uh, I think what it has done for me, other than slow me down a bit, is it helps me, as much, and it requires practice, just sort of approach each day and knowing you got to make the most of that one because you just don't know about what, what's coming next. So um, I'll leave a, it at that. A sense of where you are. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Brian. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to the show and tell a friend. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.